0: Thank you, choir. That was lovely. Okay, I'll tell the joke. It is lousy, and I hate to put it next to something so nice as that. Oli moved to northern Minnesota, and he was the only Lutheran in town. Well, on the first Friday, Oli started barbecuing. He started barbecuing meat. And boy, he was, that smell was covering the whole town, and all these Catholics were mad at Oli for barbecuing meat on Friday. <laughs> so they're nice, they're Minnesotans, they wouldn't confront him that way, instead they said, let's convert him to Catholic, Catholicism, and then he won't eat meat on Fridays. And so they invite him down the church, invite him into their homes, invite him into the church and everything else, and, and after some time, after some catechism, he, he was going to become a Catholic. And so on that Sunday, they brought him forward, and the priest said... You know, Oli, you were baptized a Lutheran. Oli, you were confirmed a Lutheran. Oli, you were raised a Lutheran. But now, and he sprinkled a little water on him, he said, now you are a Catholic. Well, the town was great, and that happened on Transfiguration Sunday. Oli was transfigured in front of everyone. Well, the next Friday came, and it's Lent. And all of a sudden, the people start smelling the barbecue again. (laughs) And that smell is going all over the whole place. Largest barbecue they've ever smelled. And they just, they know Oli's up to something. So they march over there and they're ready to give him a talking to when suddenly they, they witness something. They witness Oli looking at the meat and said, you know, you were born a venison, you were raised a venison. <laughs> but then he grabbed some water, sprinkled it on it. He says, now you're a fish. <laughs> 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 Terrible. <laughs> I think we need to pray, so let us pray. <laughs> Holy and gracious Father, we, we come now into the season of Lent. We come into a time when, when we, we think about the depths in which Christ um, descended to save us. Oh Lord, on the on this day, as we look at the temptation of Jesus... We ask that you would speak to our minds and hearts to understand what he was doing, not only for this world, but for each one of us. He's starting to make something new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you during the reading of the gospel and the temptation story said, that's it? Were any of you there? Yeah, you're expecting more. You're expecting, hey, where are the three temptations? Where is Jesus brought to the mountain and asked to be cast off for the temple? Where's any of those things? We didn't cut them out. In the Gospel of Mark, there's only two verses that speak of the temptation. I'll read them again. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. He is with the wild animals and the angels attended him. That's it. Nothing more is mentioned. Short and sweet. Now mind you, this is Mark's style. Why? Because he knows the gospel's advancing. It's on the move. He doesn't have time for a lot of words because the gospel's going out. And so, two sentences. That's all that's needed. It's amazing. A contrast, I can't help but think, between verse 12, the beginning of the temptation, and the verse that preceded it, verse 11. Let me read to you the difference. In verse 11, we, we hear of God tearing open the, the heavens and saying to Jesus, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And now verse 12. One verse later. At once... While the words of God were still ringing in his ear as his head was still wet, the Spirit sent him, literally drove him, or thrust Jesus into the desert, better known as the wilderness. Talk about a contrast. I mean, if you thought that joke compared to that beautiful song is a contrast, think about this, the contrast of, of Jesus. Coming out of the water of holy baptism of God saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm, I'm well pleased. And then immediately he's thrust into the wilderness. From I love you to, to the wilderness. And think about the wilderness. The wilderness is a place of sin. It was in the wilderness... That Israel broke the covenant with God many times. The wilderness is the place of loneliness. Both Moses and, and Elijah spent 40 days in the wilderness all by themselves. The wilderness is a place of death. One entire generation of Israelites died in the wilderness. The wilderness has little food, little water little life. Even more we read that Satan is in the wilderness, that old adversary of ours filled with his lies. He's in the wilderness ready to offer poison water to those who thirst. And it says that he tempted Jesus 40 days. Now we know of three of the temptations that happened, but what were the other temptations that aren't written? I bet the devil went up to Jesus and said, you know, if you really are the beloved son of God, then why did God send you to this place? You think God really loves you, Jesus? No way. He sent you to this place. You better believe for 40 days the devil is after Jesus because the devil is a filthy beast. But speaking of beasts, we read that Jesus was with the wild beasts. He was with Jesus in the desert, and you know what kind of animals are in the desert. You got poisonous snakes and and poisonous spiders, and you got frightened and terrible creatures out there. I mean, I guess if you love the animals of the desert, you're amazing, because the desert scares me to death. They're all competing against each other, competing for life, trying to survive. The wilderness is a hard place. This is hardly the place for the beloved Son of God. Isn't that how it often is with the children of God? Isn't this what faith often looks like? In the waters of baptism, we experience the mercy of God. And as, As a professor of mine said, and I've said it many times, what does the mercy of God look like? The mercy of God looks like that when you were a child, you were carried on your back to the waters of baptism. And there God says, you're a keeper, right? That's the mercy of God. But then what happens after baptism? We're often thrust into the wilderness of this world. Our lives and our vocations are are filled with trials and temptations. The devil is around challenging us, offering us poison water, trying to cause us to doubt God's love. We're surrounded by wild beasts, illness, finances, Addictions all around us, even the neighbors all around us. I mean, here we're called keepers of God. God calls us keepers. And yet, don't we ever wonder? Do you ever wonder if God is keeping us at all? I think all of us have been there. Just look at the news. Things are wrong with the world. Things are wrong with the news. I mean,. Even Christians suffer. There's a pastor and teacher, Stephen Brown. He tells about a time when he was speaking at a conference, a Christian conference, and he learned that a hurricane was heading towards his home in Miami. Thankfully, his whole family was with him, but they began to pray in the midst of their conference, had the conference pray for him. They prayed that the hurricane would, would change path, their, its path, wouldn't hit his home. Well, it didn't change its path. They prayed that they wouldn't lose their stuff. They lost their stuff. Afterwards, they prayed for the right contractor. Well, the one they got stole $60,000 from them and put a $15,000 lien on their house. They prayed in the midst of all this that God would protect him and his family. What happened? Their car got stolen. We talk about a terrible time, even for Christians. Christians. This world is a hard place. This is hardly the place for us. But maybe that's the point. The wilderness is not the place God had in store for us. God made for us a garden. God made a beautiful garden filled with life, filled with good animals, filled with with love, the wilderness is a product of sin, death, and the devil. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought misery upon themselves, brought misery upon us. Paul tells us, by the trespass of one man, death reigned. Well, what is God to do when, when Adam and Eve are completely miserable because of their sin? He must drive them out of the garden. And then God has to place two angels at the entrance into the garden to protect the tree of life. Why? Because God didn't want them. He knows us. He knows that we'd sneak in, eat that tree of life, the fruit from it, and then live forever in our misery. And so God has to protect that entrance. But do you think God's done creating? No way. Thankfully, the Paul. So Paul tells us, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? In other words, when God casts out, it's always to bring back in. That's what he's doing with Jesus. Listen again to verse 12, because this is important. At once the Spirit sent, thrust, drove, cast out, Ekbalo, the same word for Adam and Eve, kicked out of the garden, drove him out into the desert. Why? Because Jesus is the second Adam. And Jesus is sent out to work work the ground of an uncooperating creation. And like Adam, he will die outside the garden. Remember the parable of the vineyard? owner of the wicked vineyard. God plants a garden. Jesus comes to him. What do the vineyard people do? They kick him out, ekbalo, same word, out of the garden where he dies. Same words. It's amazing how that happens. But God's doing this. God's allowing this. Because when God kicks out, it's always to bring back. Remember, Jesus is the son of a carpenter. Jesus is a builder. He's willing to go into the hard places in order to do a work, to make it new, in order to make things right. This is why Jesus is with the wild animals. The wild animals were once perfect with God, perfect with humanity. And so when they fell, we're now afraid of animals and all these things happen. What does Jesus do? He goes to the wilderness. He goes to the wild beasts. And I imagine while he's with them, he's saying, guess what? I'm starting to make something new. In fact, after Jesus, all the animals are called clean, which is important, but even more, after Jesus, he's going to begin to even raise up fallen animals. Listen to what Isaiah says See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, in streams in the wasteland, the wild beasts. Honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. In other words, Jesus is kicked out, thrust into the wilderness. Why? Because there's work for him to do. And he's beginning that work by being with those animals. He's beginning that work by beating Satan, something Adam and Eve couldn't do. And yet there's more. We read that there's angels with Jesus. Why is this important? Well, the angels remind us Jesus is the Son of God. But even more, go way back to the the garden. God kicks him out. What does he do? He places two angels at the entrance to protect the tree of life. Don't you understand? Jesus is going to die on the the tree, on the cross. He's going to give us eternal life. Jesus is... What is he? He calls himself the door, the gate. Jesus is the entrance into eternal life. The angels are there to protect him. (laughs) Because when God casts out, he's always planning to bring him back. And that's why those same angels are at the tomb, guarding it, sitting over there, and then rolling it back as that tomb opens up the way to eternal life. (laughs) When God kicks out, he's always bringing back. This means so much then for us and for our lives because it means if any of you are sick of this world, well, you should be. This isn't the world God created for us. This is a fallen wilderness. If you don't like it, You join the company of God Almighty. He doesn't like it either. But there's more to that. God's doing something there. In fact, when you find yourself in the wilderness, guess what? Know that God is with you. Jesus is with you. He surrounds you even with angels. And Jesus says, call out to me, cry to me. In fact, the book of Hebrews says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, when you're in the wilderness, call on Jesus. He's with you, and He says, Call on me. And yet there's still more. Don't you understand? And understand this, that Jesus is a carpenter's son. What do carpenters do? They build. They take their tools. For Jesus, he takes the hammer of his love, the tape measure of his grace, and Jesus enters into the worst slums, even the wilderness, to make things new. There is no place too dirty for Jesus. There is no heart too far gone. There is sin, there is no sin too gross that Jesus can work on. There is no death too dead for Jesus to resurrect. Look at what Jesus does with a splash of water. Look what he does with a little bit of bread and wine. How much more does he do with his grace when he enters into the wilderness, enters into this world, enters into our lives to make it new? to prepare a place for you. Don't you see there's light at the end of this tunnel? Jesus will finish his work, and it will be on time, his time, or the Father's time, but it will be done. Because you are his workmanship. He has already taken his tools and began to work on you. Baptism, Lord's Supper, His word, each one of you. God is working on you. Making a new you. Making a new world. Preparing his place. And the best news of all, you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) Because he's just not done. Praise God for that. He's not done. Jesus was driven out into the wilderness so that we who are in the wilderness would be driven back to God. In Jesus' name, amen.